0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Greg Amzinger is the lead anchor of MLB Network. He's a native of St. Louis and a product of the Lindenwood University. And I know that one of Greg's favorite nights of the year is when he gets to participate in the Hall of Fame election process, well, not the process, but he gets to help announce and interview the, the Hall of Famers. We had that the other night with Todd Helton and Joe Mauer and Adrian Beltre. Uh, Greg, first of all, good morning. Great to with us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for beginning there. Because, yes, I, I, I
1: circled the Hall of Fame election announcement show on my calendar. And, and, and the reason I say it every year, the greatest sports host of all time is Bob Costas. And this is a show where he doesn't host it. I, I host it. So he, he knows how to host the show. He can do it in his sleep. And he's staring right across from me at the end of the anchor desk, listening to everything go through my ear, all the traffic, and it's very intimidating, but I, I, I kind of flipped the script on him. And I, I did something that was just kind of for me this year. I can figure out, and Randy and Dan and Brooke, you all know, like, when you're working together for a long time, you understand what, what, what your co-host's like, right? Well, I, I know that Bob doesn't want to do a breakdown tape. He doesn't really care about graphics. He doesn't really, he doesn't really care about that stuff. When he's like a pundit analyst, right? But he loves sinking his teeth into the voting results. And I'm supposed to be the one that does that right after the announcement comes out. Well, we're in commercial break. And I go, hey, Bob, you know what? We're going to react to whoever gets in. But when we get to the three or four pages of voting results, I'm just why don't you just take it? And he looks at me and goes, are you sure, Greg? And I'm like, yeah, just take it, man. Just take it. So he starts going line by line. Like, It's it's three and a half to four minutes of analysis of every single player that was on the ballot. You could have brought in a Beyonce smoke machine and just sat back in your chair with your jaw on the ground. It was broadcasting doctorate class. It was so amazing to listen to. He's so freaking good. I was just like a fanboy sitting on the set with him, listening to him, gives all of the analysis of every single player that was on that Hall of Fame ballot and the results that they got on that day.
0: It was great. He is incredible. What stood out to you in within that segment of, of his analysis? was there Were there one or two things that you thought, wow, that's cool. I didn't think of that. Uh, he pointed out that, How many people, this is the other thing that's crazy about his brain,
1: he doesn't forget anything. So when someone debuted on the ballot and all of a sudden they're at 10.8%, off the top of his head, he's rolling off the other Hall of Famers who started off at the same percentile on year one of their ballot and eventually got in. Like Without notes, he just knew the Hall of Famers that debuted at the same exact voting total. like Without any preparation... He reacted to it in real time, and it was just flawless. Like He, he, he mentioned all, all of the guys that are polarizing, the Manny's, the A-Rod's, um, the Omar the Skells and, and walked you through how much they slid from last year to this year. Just is off the top of his mind. He just memorized what they, what the, their voting total was the year before. He, he's just a savant, man. And, and it's an intimidating thing to do a three-hour television show with someone that good.
2: <laughs> Greg, we're talking about this coming up at 8. About aside from Yadier Molina and Nolan uh, Nolan Arenado and Albert Pujols, who is the next Cardinal that you think will go into the Hall of Fame?
1: Ooh, you mentioned Yadier Molina, right? Mm-hmm. He said his name. Okay, yeah. I, I, I guess I'd I guess i have to say it's Paul Goldschmidt. I, I have to believe it, right? He's on the Hall of Fame highway. He's aging really well. Um, Nolan Arenado's a slam dunk, but he's a little younger, so he's going to stick around. I think it's got to be Goldie, and if you look at Goldschmidt's numbers compared to other first basemen that are in the Hall of Fame, he's three years away from sort of cementing this to me. Like, what 200 wins meant for Adam Wainwright? If, if, if Goldie can put together three more seasons, including the 2024 year where he hits 290 or above, over 20 home runs, drives in over 90 runs with a great on-base percentage – He's aging really well. I think he's the guy. If I, I I was thinking, though, Brooke, I was thinking about Cardinal fans everywhere because, it, 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 look, people, got into are argument with Jonathan Mayo, our prospect guru. He's like, why does it matter if a Hall of Famer's first ballot? If you know he's eventually going to be in the Hall of Fame, why does it matter anyway? I'm like, because it matters to the players. It matters to the Hall of Famers. I interviewed Joe Maurer. He couldn't believe he joined Pudge Rodriguez and Johnny Bench as the only catchers to be elected in a first ballot. That means something. I interviewed Mariano Rivera right after he was the first-ever unanimously elected Hall of Famer. He was crying over that. Like That detail mattered to him. The, the players know who the top-shelf Hall of Famers are. Those are the first-ballot guys. So for Cardinal fans everywhere that are wondering if Yadier Molina is going to be a first-ballot Hall of Famer, because his offensive numbers don't quite match up to me, Joe Mauer getting in, in a first-ballot ensures that Yadier Molina will be a first-ballot Hall of Famer. So I was thinking about Cardinal fans everywhere how that election of Maurer on a first ballot will impact Yachty down the line.
2: Greg, did uh, they feel that they got it right this year with the omission of Billy Wagner, which I think will be happening next year? But did they think that they got it right, generally speaking? Yeah,
1: I, 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 I'm I, with you, Dan. I think Billy Wagner needs to be in the Hall of Fame. And i, I got to be honest with you, I'm scared. Uh, that he isn't a cinch burger. He was five or four votes short uh, of getting to the 75% threshold. I thought for sure Gary Sheffield, who, yes, was connected to PEDs, Mitchell Report, all that jazz, uh, but he has come out adamantly and said that he did not knowingly do any of that stuff and really, really campaigned for himself this year. I thought a year ago when he went up almost 15% in the electorate, with one year left to go in his Hall of Fame eligibility to be voted in by the BBWAA, I thought he was going to get another huge uptick. I would be, i would have been surprised if he were to go up from fifty-five percent to seventy-five percent. If you're going to go up fifteen percent in year nine, is it crazy that you go up twenty in year ten? That's like the sympathy vote. He barely went up this year. I was shocked by that. So. I'm a little worried because, you know, Billy Wagner sort of represents the modern electorate, the modern voter who is living in this world of bullpenning that we're all living in right now, which let's go. This is the new age of pitching value. Uh, if you can come in for an, a clean inning and dominate, that should mean something. And, you know, look, the swing and miss is an important thing. I totally get it. But he is being unfairly cast off by some voters over 14 postseason appearances. Tom Verducci said something I thought that was really interesting. He goes, look, if you're Kurt Schilling, if you're Carlos Beltran is one of the great postseason hitters of all time, if you're Amy Pettit, who's still on the ballot getting votes, it's okay if the postseason success you had – Helps your Hall of Fame candidacy, but it shouldn't hurt you. And I completely agree with that. Like, i really, uh, Mike Trout has done nothing in the postseason. Are you telling me that he shouldn't be a first ballot Hall of Famer? Like, come on! It, 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 you needed Billy Wagner to get to these big moments, to have 14 appearances in the postseason. Be which sucks away his fame and his success, and you're gonna leave him out. I think it'd be a crime. I hope he gets over 75% next year. So
2: I did kind of a deep dive on Billy Wagner. He missed by five votes. Three of the votes were taken away from him by guys that had voted for him the year before, and then two of the votes that he didn't get were because two writers voted for A-Rod and Manny and nobody else. There's Uh, five votes, then he gets in. It begs the question then, Greg, around Major League Baseball and, and with the folks that you are doing the work with at MLB, do we need to change this? Do we need to get more people involved in the game that are voting on this? And I understand the writers, some take it as a great responsibility, some uh, some do not. But do we need to get other people involved to make sure this is done properly?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a group, Dan. I deal with them a lot for the PBWA Awards Week, right? So you get the Cy Young, the Manager of the Year, the Rookie of the Year, the MVP. These shows are very important, and and they take it very seriously. Um, they, they believe in their process. They they really do, and uh, you know you, you you ask Joel Sherman this question, and you're going to get about a three and a half minute answer that's filled with uh, spit flying, and his blood pressure goes up. He truly believes in what the BBWAA does uh, to defend them. It has become the most difficult Hall of Fame to get into, and there is some sort of allure to that. Uh, I think it's added to the magic of what Cooperstown is about. And it should be hard to get it. I get it, it should be hard to get in. I think you know what you just pointed out, the voters that left him off their list, the lists change for a lot of these guys. They vote for ten no matter what, that's Max. So when new names come in, they cast off names they voted up for before. But you know, Jason Starks at something who I think is just one of the great baseball minds and loves the game immensely. You have to take into account their candidacy. If you would ever vote for somebody, you have to assume by putting them on your list that they're a Hall of Famer. You have to believe by voting for them one time that they're a Hall of Famer. And you have to be true to that. You have to continue as long as they're eligible to support the initial vote you gave to that man to be a Hall of Famer. That didn't happen from other voters. I think maybe we don't change the process, but maybe we need like a Hall of Fame boot camp. Right. Where they all go and they stay in cabins and they sit around bonfires and they all tell stories about how to do it correctly. Maybe that's what they need a little culture building. So they're all on the same page.
0: Hey, Greg, uh, let's move to the Cardinals. Uh, I want you. uh, And first of all, we understand that the Cardinals signed Matt Carpenter for leadership. Can you think of a baseball reason that they signed him?
1: Yeah, look, there was a team that um, would sit around and go, hey, do you think if we sign an old, on-his-last-leg DH that the home crowd kind of digs, uh, do you think we can hit lighting in the bottle? If there was an organization that threw that idea around, you better believe he'd be the St. Louis Cardinals after what they just witnessed with Albert Pools. Do I think he's going to have that kind of a season? I don't. But what's, what's wrong with trying it again? I, the Cardinal. Fans and the Card- Cardinal faithful are going to give him a standing ovation. I like guess they're gonna have love on him all year long, and that's part of the culture of St. Louis baseball. It's it's just great about being a Cardinal fan. Uh, I'll, some of my fondest memories was when Willie McGee came back. I mean, that was. Willie really, McKee got a standing ovation every time he came to the plate. And there were guys playing for the Braves scratching their head, going, What? This guy's two like 212 right now. He's get a standing ovation. He's not a Hall of Famer, but in St. Louis he was. So uh, Matt Carpenter had some magical years and it's sort of part of the fraternity, which I think is great. And if it makes no baseball sense, let that. Let St. Louis be the only place where it makes no baseball sense and still works out. I like narratives like this. I really do.
0: Okay. Hey, before we let you go, I want to give you one fun fact about the Hall of Fame. Since 1908, since 1908, the Cardinals, from 1909 on, have had a Hall of Famer in uniform every single season. That's an amazing
1: nugget. They felt, who? Can, can, this isn't your work, is it? Did you sit down on a baseball reference and grind? Or, like, Who is this? Did I, you steal this from somebody? I, I
0: double-checked. Actually, my friend Joe Strom, the Cardinals ticket manager, brought this up to me, and I, I went back and I looked at, uh, I went through, uh, scrolled through all of baseball reference, and 1908 is the last time the Cardinals, then when Roger Bresnahan showed up in 1909, since then, every year the Cardinals have had a Hall of Famer uh, in, in uniform. And oh, by the way, A couple of those years when McGuire, he's not in the Hall of Fame, but Tony La was the manager. So a couple of those years, it wasn't necessarily a player, but they've had a Hall of Famer in uniform.
1: And you're talking about Hall of Famers. Think about the guys that have a gripe. Like Matt Holiday was one and done. Yeah. Okay? I wanted him to stay on the ballot again because if Todd Helton is a Hall of Famer and we look at his home road splits, if you look at OPS+, which is adjusted to ballpark, Matt Holiday was actually a better performer in St. Louis than he was at Coors Field, which changes the way you look at Matt Holiday's career. Whereas Todd Helton wasn't the case. Of course, he had great at, at Coors Field, we were talking that he was still an effective hitter away from his home yard, which I don't think we should punish him for. I mean, Jim Edmonds, how – I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm going to I got pom-poms for Joe Mauer I'm happy for. Him. But you're telling me if we're going to give credence to the defensive position of catcher, which he did half his career, by the way, half his career, he is now um, – other than a guy that caught in the 1800s, Deacon Jones, he's now uh, the catcher with the fewest games caught. In Cooperstown will be Joe Mao Okay, you're telling me because he played a premium position for half his career that center field is in a premium position. That Jim Edmonds, who is a far more dominant offensive player, should shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Andrew should shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry, Tori Hunter is on a list of seven players. Players, not just center fielders. Players that have 350 or more home runs and nine or more Gold Gloves. Torrey Hunter, hey, he's not good enough. But Joe Mowers, I don't know, I don't know, I know. I need to go to the boot camp. Maybe they'll let me in to the BBWA boot camp.
0: (laughs) Great, great stuff as always. Thanks so much for the time, Greg. We will be tuned into MLB tonight throughout the course of this offseason. Heck, we're only uh, three weeks away from the start of spring training.
1: I can't wait. I'll be in Arizona. Come visit, we'll play golf then, okay? Sounds good. You do it too, Andy. Brooke, do the show from
0: Arizona. Let's go. It's a good idea. Uh, We'll talk to you later. All right, see you guys. See Greg, Greg Amsinger, MLB Network on 101 ESPN.